like to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, on our live stream on YouTube. Uh, this is just one part of our service here at City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole service via Zoom, just drop us an email uh, at info at city-temple.com uh, or uh, you can come and join us in person down at City Temple in central London. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to two places. First of all, to Zechariah chapter 3 and then to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy, it's true, and it carries your authority. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit today, and let your Holy Spirit rest on me, that I can speak your word faithfully to your people through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray all this in his name. Amen. We go to Zechariah. Uh, the third chapter, and we're going to read down into chapter 4. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under this vine and under his fig tree. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see a lampstand, and, and behold, a lampstand all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel 
you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. I like saying his name, right? Zerubbabel. Gotta try it, you know, it's fun. Zerubbabel. Anyway, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. And you know, and it's easy to say when you're cold. It's like, Zerubbabel. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul's talking here of the gospel that he was given, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. This month we've been talking a bit about the things that the Lord has spoken for us at City Temple, particularly things around uh, 2022. And one of the things the Lord spoke to me back in September on the 14th uh, was something that just keeps reverberating in my mind. You know, the Lord said at that time, he said, for a season, City Temple has not been the church that the world has wanted, but it will become the church the world needs. Do not look at other churches. Do not compare yourself to them. You are my unique creation. People have recognized this over the centuries. You have always been out of step with other churches, which is part of your calling. And it really has been quite amazing over the years to understand how unique City Temple is in the kingdom of God. I mean, after 20 years, I still struggle to categorize what we are uh, as a church. Uh, and we're avoiding all kinds of labels now. Uh, we used to try to say, you know, are we charismatic? Well, there's a little bit of that. Are we Pentecostal? Well, probably not Pentecostal, maybe charismatic. Uh, you know, are we third wave? Uh, are we uh, word and spirit? Uh, are we evangelical? You know, what are we? And actually, we can't really categorize ourselves. And so I've just stopped trying. You know, I've stopped trying to figure it out uh, who God has made us to be and who God has called us to be. And, uh, and it certainly doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with our history. It doesn't make sense really with who we are now and the things we've gone through in the last 50 years 
the struggles and the challenges that we face. Uh, but, uh, but God continues to show his favor to us. God continues to protect, protect and preserve us, sometimes in ways that are really, really astounding to me. When you consider you know, our, our small numbers, uh, and you consider we, don't, we haven't built a platform, uh, we don't have a big brand or anything like that that we're trying to promote, uh, I'm not trying to sell you, you know, my latest 10-step uh, guide to uh, eternal happiness in Christ. You know, there's nothing like that here. But we just go on and we seek to do what God has called us to do. And over the years, God has spoken to us and God has really encouraged us in a lot of different ways. And uh, over the years, God has spoken to us several times from the book of Zechariah. In particular, the passage that I read today, but uh, different parts throughout the whole of the book of Zechariah, God has used to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us. And, uh, uh, and, and from time to time, I've reflected, you know, I, don't, I hadn't really understood fully why that was. And uh, yesterday, as I was really praying and trying to zero down, there were a lot of things that had been on my heart, but I almost called the sermon today surprise because uh, uh, I, I was going to send out the, the notice, the Zoom notice and everything earlier in the day, but I had no idea what to call what I was going to say. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to preach on, actually. And so I was thinking about calling it a surprise because it was going to be a surprise to me as well as to you. But uh, uh, God came through as he often does when, uh, or as he always does. I mean, he doesn't, God doesn't often come through, you know. He always comes through. So forgive me, Lord, for misspeaking there. And so I kept zeroing in on Zechariah. And I'm thinking, why has this been so important? And I had this real duh moment yesterday. Do you ever have that? You know, where, you, where you, you're trying to figure something out, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, duh. You know, I knew that all along. Why, why didn't I understand that? And all of a sudden I got the duh moment for Zechariah. Why has God spoken to us so much through this book? Is because it's about rebuilding the temple. And what have we been talking about? And what have we been going for in, in a physical sense? But not only in a physical sense, also a spiritual sense, is rebuilding city temple. And no wonder there's been so many parallels, and no wonder there's been so many ways that God has spoken to us. And in the book, Zechariah is the prophet, Joshua is the high priest in that day, and Zerubbabel is the governor of Judea, the guy who was in charge. And so Cyrus sent them back, sent the Jews back, said rebuild the temple, uh, and, and they started that process under Ezra, but it didn't get very far, and God got a little annoyed, uh, and you get that in Haggai, where God says, hey listen, why are you guys living in your nice comfortable houses when the temple lies in ruin? Come on, get off your backsides and get working. And then Zechariah comes in to give some encouragement because Zerubbabel and Joshua uh, in the whole process, even from the time Nehemiah came back, the whole process was fraught with difficulties and challenges and things that weren't going well. They struggled to find the money. They struggled to find the help. They struggled to find the resources. Uh, they, they were weak. 
they were poor. They, they weren't very wealthy at the time. That's why it talks so much about the wealth of the nation. It's all issues that we've been facing for longer than 20 years now. Challenges that we've had as a church. Same kinds of oppositions. And yet, God worked through them, Zerubbabel and Joshua, and the temple was rebuilt, and that temple endured for several hundred years, all the way up until AD 70, when it was destroyed by the Romans. And so there was great power and, and great accomplishment that happened from circumstances that were very similar to our own circumstances here as a church. And so I began to read this and reread this and realize that God has a number of words for us. He wants to speak through these passages we read today. And so I'm just going to dive in. The first one, uh, and it corresponds to different sections that I'll read. The first word is that we, City Temple, we are God's firebrands. Firebrands. That's a great word, firebrands. Let me read the text. Then he showed me, uh, the me is uh, Zechariah, the he is the angel. Then the angel showed Zechariah, Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now often when we read that, we think of a brand like they used to brand cattle. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a stick that's been pulled from the fire that's hot. So it's the word firebrand. Firebrand. Now what's a firebrand? A firebrand in our language now is a radical. A firebrand is a troublemaker. Now one of the things that drew me to City Temple 20 years ago is that City Temple has a reputation for being a rabble rouser. We tend to stir things up. People get upset with us. We tend to cause problems. We still do that. I shield you guys from most of that. But we still do those kinds of things. And that's our calling as a church. We've done that for 400 years. For 400 years, we stir things up. I could tell you story after story. A lot of them are really good stories, too. Uh, sorry, I just tempted you, didn't I? Okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Resist. Okay, I'm resisting. But that's, that's our heritage. That's who we are. I love the fact we were called, historically, we were called nonconformists because we don't conform. We don't conform. And so God's saying, City Temple, and He's saying, everybody who wants to, if your heart's linked with ours, you're part of that, you are a firebrand. But I tell you, as God's firebrands, in 2022, things are going to shift. They've already started shifting. They're going to increase in 2022. My sickness in 2021 is part of the sign of the shift because we are entering a different level of spiritual warfare. In a lot of places you, you read, you know, you see people talking about what's called strategic level spiritual warfare. That's dealing with principalities and powers, those big level demons, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians chapter 6. And you get a lot of people who are saying, 
you know, I rebuke you, Satan, I re and, and all of that. I tell you, you can't do that at the level of spiritual warfare we're entering into. Good friend of mine, back in my first church, this a lot of years ago, he was a young Christian, ex-Marine. We were talking about Satan, and he said, I can take on Satan. I said, Lance, don't talk about that. That's, that's wrong. Don't do, oh no, I can take him on. Bring it on, you know, I can take on Satan. Within two years, I think it was within a year, but I know it was within two years, Lance had lost his marriage, had lost his job, and has lost, had lost his life. He just died. There's a level of spiritual warfare you enter into where you, you don't poke the bear. We're entering that level of spiritual warfare. But that doesn't mean we've got to be afraid of the bear. Because we've got, you know, I could say the lion. Don't poke the lion. How about that one? Because it goes better with this next metaphor. Because we've got the lion tamer behind us. That's Jesus. Right? You don't poke the bear because you've got the bear tamer. I don't know if that's a thing. But you've got the bear tamer. Jesus is standing behind us. But you don't poke the bear. And so, in this new level of spiritual warfare, you say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, principality power. The Lord rebuke you. And the worship team will tell you, for about a year now, that's what we've been doing in our prayer time. I'm not, you know, you say, I bind you, and I command you to leave. Now I say, the Lord rebuke you, and I command you to leave. And when you're a firebrand, you can't mess around with that stuff. You know, you get a lot of grace when you're just young and foolish and stupid. But you get to a point in time in your life where you don't have that grace. Where it's dangerous and there are consequences. But you walk into it because you're a firebrand. And let me tell you right now, Satan is going to try to accuse us in the same way that he was accusing Joshua. If you've got that little voice inside of you saying you're ugly, you don't amount to anything, you're, not, you're worthless, you can't make a difference, uh, that's not God, it's not Jesus, it's not me, it's the devil. And you've got to stand up to it. And you hear that voice coming inside of you, you say, the Lord rebuke you because I'm not going to listen to it. Any kind of accusation is not from God. Any kind of accusation. Doesn't matter if it comes in your head. Doesn't matter if it's your father, your mother. Doesn't matter if it's your child. Any accusation coming against you right now, especially in this season, is not from God. It's from the devil. And you say, the Lord rebuke you. Because we are firebrands. We are God's firebrands. By the way, understand, we are God's firebrands. That means you don't go causing trouble of your own accord. I know a lot of Christians, quite frankly, I want to, no, I won't say that. Uh, I know a lot of Christians, quite frankly, that I want God to smack sometimes. Uh, just to, uh, because they're just, they're just rude for the sake of being rude. They're annoying for the sake of being annoying. There's nothing attractive about that. There's nothing attractive about being your own firebrand. But if you're God's firebrand, things change.
If you're God's firebrand, God makes a way. If you're God's firebrand, your life makes a difference. When we're God's firebrand, we're God's firebrands. Number two, second word, God has stripped us naked and emptied us out to clothe us royally. God has emptied us out, has stripped us naked to clothe us royally. It's funny, walking around the building after yesterday's work day, walking around the building, if you go into the prayer room, it's like, there's nothing there. You look on the walls, you know, it's all, a lot of the signs and things are there, it's just been taken down. And it's like all this stuff has been stripped away. Here's the text. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Pardon me. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Now God has been dealing with us as a church. He's been dealing with us for quite a number of years, not just the last few years, not just the last seven years. In some respects, you can say that God's been dealing with us as a church since 1914, thereabouts. So it's a long time. God has a lot more patience than we do. And, and sometimes he takes time to work out his purposes historically. By the way, that gives me a lot of courage to know the season we're in. And also, by the way, that gives me a lot of humility to know that it's not my doing, that anything good happens. It's all from God, and we need to understand that. But throughout our history as a church, there's been a lot of iniquity. There's been a lot of things, particularly uh, in the early decades of the, the 20th century, that pastors and members of this, this church did that were very, very sinful. But you know what? God has taken that away. And God has been further stripping us down as a church. And the purpose in taking away those filthy rags, and by the way, the filthy rag, it's equated with iniquity. Now, iniquity in the Old Testament, uh, when you read that word, it refers to sin that is the result of brokenness. You know, there are certain things that we all do, you know, where we say, okay, I shouldn't do this. I know God doesn't want me to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. That's called transgression. And God deals with that. But sometimes we're all messed up. Well, we're all are messed up, right? We all have areas of weakness in our lives, things we've done wrong, a history, baggage, whatever you call it. And you know, sometimes we act out of that baggage that's iniquity. That's what it is. And God is taking away the iniquity of this church. God has taken away the iniquity. If you're in Christ, God's taken away the iniquity of your life in Christ Jesus. So you no longer have to live or act out of your brokenness. In fact, as a Christian, we don't really have the space to say, oh, I'm doing this because uh, my parents treated me this way. 
No, God's healed us. He's healed us of that brokenness. He's removed it. But God is going to clothe us with pure vestments. What is this? This is according to Revelation 19.8. These are the righteous deeds of the saints. God's going to be clothing us with this righteousness. He stripped us naked to clothe us royally or regally. And then the third word. God has assured us of our future as a kingdom of priests. And it will happen suddenly. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Now, by the way, that's a reference to Jesus. It's a future prophecy about Jesus. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, again, the stone is a prophetic reference to Jesus. Stone I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, the seven eyes is all-seeing, it's all-knowing, so it's a reference, it's a divine reference. It's a divine reference. So, saying, this stone is God, it's Jesus. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. That was the day of the crucifixion. So understand the prophetic nature of this. Most of this is fulfilled in Christ. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. And that's spreading out the gospel. So understand that there's a dynamic of this that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But there's also a word that is going to be fulfilled in us. And that is that assurance that uh, the angel gave to Joshua is the assurance that the angel is giving to us. Joshua was the priest. We are a kingdom of priests. And that assurance is that we have a future as a kingdom of priests, and that future is going to be manifested quite suddenly. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And one of the verses in Revelation, again, that speaks to us, Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 9 and 10, for Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's, our, that's who we are. We're called to be a church of every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is, good. this is true for all of God's people, but this is true for us as a church. This is part of our calling and our identity. And the Lord is assuring us of the truth of this. He's assuring us of this truth in this season. Then the fourth word that comes out, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then he said to me, 
This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. There's another verse that's spoken to me a lot around this theme. It's Psalm chapter 44, verse 3. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You know, the temptation for us is to try to do everything by our own power, to try to fulfill God's will by our power. In fact, if you'd say that there is a besetting sin amongst leaders of City Temple over the last 150 years or so, that would be it. There's at least four to six times that I could share, if we had lots of time and we weren't freezing to death, uh, four to six times uh, in the history of this, recent history of City Temple, where a leader got a genuine vision from God and then went about doing it in their own strength. And guess what? God never blesses that. And God hasn't. Uh, and I can point to wasting of a million pounds or more because of this, because of this dynamic. And so the Lord is telling us, it's not going to be by my, our might, it's not by our power, it's not by our right arm, it's not by our intelligence, it's not by our wisdom, it's not by our strength of numbers, it's not by all the money that we raise, it's not by all the wise things that we do, it's not by any of these things, but by God's Spirit that God's will for City Temple will be accomplished. By God's power. And it's going to be God's power. It's going to be His right hand and His arm that talks about God's power and the light of His face because God delights in us. And you know what? I don't know why. I don't know why God delights in us. I mean... I don't necessarily deserve his delight. I know I, I can't remember what we were talking about when we were celebrating birthdays earlier, uh, just a little bit ago, and talking about birthdays uh, and uh, looking at people. I, I just had this vision of, you know, you coming out of, I, I'm a baby, you know, I'm born. I come out of the womb, uh, you know, and my mom picks me up. My biological mother picks me up for the first time, looks at my face. You know, shocked. Uh, you know, it's not us. It's, 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 the delight is not in us. It's because God just solemnly, sovereignly chooses to do that. And he's done that. So God will accomplish his will by his power. And God will make every mountain, you know what a mountain is, it's an obstacle. God will make every mountain a plain. Where's a plain? It's a place where you walk freely. That's God's doing. That's God's doing by God's grace. And when it happens, and when we put the final seal on all of it, we'll say, grace, grace, it's all about grace. It's all about God's grace. And that's true for your life as well. 
Don't ever think that you get anything with God by what you do. It's all grace. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, it's grace, grace, and we shout grace to it because God is doing it. God is doing it. And God has one more word out of this passage. Do not despise the day of small things, but rejoice. Do not despise the day of small things, but rejoice. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. By the way, I think that's true for us. We've laid the foundation for what God's about to do. We'll see it through. Anybody who wants to, we'll see it through. You'll come to the other side of it and experience the blessing. As long as you don't quit, as long as you don't give up, you'll get to it on the other side. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. It also it just reminds me of Moses. One of the things that I always laugh about Moses, he's at the burning bush, right? God's told him to go to Pharaoh and be a firebrand to Pharaoh, right? Uh, you know, Pharaoh, he's the most powerful guy in the world at that time. Easily kill you. He'd rather kill you than look at you in many cases. And so, so Moses is there and he says, God, what's the sign? I need a sign that what you're telling me is true. And God says, well, Moses, when you've done all these things, you'll come back here and worship me on this mountain. And Moses is like, okay, sounds good. And I want to yell, I yell at the Bible every time, Moses, that's not a sign. You know, that's an after thing. Uh, you know, a sign is something I want in advance, right? You know, Lord, what's the sign that you want me to do this? Well, Rod, I'm going to give you 50 million pounds. Oh, okay. That's a good sign. I like that sign, you know? But that's not how he operates. You know, and he does the same thing here. He says, what's the, the sign? You know, how do you know? How do you know when this has? Well, when it's done. That will be your sign. When it's done. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. God is going to enable us to finish what we started here. Do not despise the day of small things. It's so easy to do. You know, there are times, unlike any other person, I think, oh Lord, you know, couldn't I have two, three thousand people maybe? No, no financial problems, uh, technology that works 100% of the time, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. But we don't need that. We just need God. Do not despise the day of small things. Do not judge things by their size. Do not judge things by what they look at like at any moment in time. If I judge Belly's birthday cake that we're going to enjoy in a few minutes by what it looked like when she was mixing it in the bowl, uh, I probably wouldn't eat it. You know, you don't judge something in the process. You have to wait till the end of it 
Do not despise the day of small things, but we need to rejoice. And we also need to know that God has made us a plumb line. Now what's a plumb line? A plumb line is a piece of string with a heavy weight at the bottom. Uh, and in the good old days, that's what you needed to use to make sure that something was straight. When you built your house, you didn't want it leaning. You wanted it straight, so you put your plumb line up against it. You could see if it was straight. God has set us as a plumb line. Let me tell you, God is in the, in the work of dealing with a lot of people, a lot of organizations, I won't name them all, where he's established us as a plumb line. It might seem small, but don't despise the day of the small things because God is doing mighty things in us. Now you might ask, okay, these are great words, but why? Why would God do this? Why would God use us to do this? Why would God say these kinds of things to us as a congregation? Surely this is for a much larger congregation or a different, or a different stream or something like that. Well, I think the passage from Ephesians tells us. And it tells us quite clearly. And that is, God has a cosmic purpose for City Temple. Now, I don't mean cosmic in the sense that we're all, all going to use magic mushrooms and have some kind of experience, okay? Understand. But notice what the purpose is. What is heaven? What did Paul, you know, what was he doing? He was preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring the light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? who created all things. Now this is telling us a couple important things. It's about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. It's about exalting Jesus Christ and demonstrating that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's about a God who is all powerful, who is so powerful, he created everything. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the purpose. God is making a declaration through us. God is using us out of his sovereignty, out of his grace, to the glory of Jesus, not to the glory of any one of us, but to the glory of Jesus to say, my plan, my purpose is the right one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is being declared right now to the spiritual forces in the heavenly places all around us. It doesn't matter right at this moment how many people hear the message. What really matters right at this moment and what we really are right at this moment is a sign in the heavenly places. We are a sign to everything demonic and everything dark and everything wrong in this world and all injustice and all unrighteousness, we are a sign that God's way is the right way. It's not going to be worldly power. It's not going to be worldly strength. It's not going to be worldly wisdom. It's not going to be worldly effort that brings about 
the grace and the goodness and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's going to be through the power of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ exalted in the heavenly places. And that exaltation demonstrated through people who are weak, who may not think much of themselves, but are thought much of by God. And that is us. That is you. And that's God's purpose in us in this season. And we don't know all the outcomes. We don't know where everything will end up. But we do know this. God is with us. God's grace and God's favor is with us. And God has a plan for rebuilding this temple. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we worship you and we adore you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking through the Bible and speaking directly to us in our situation. And I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us and empower us in this time, in this season. For your glory and praise. We love you. We worship you. And we thank you for all you're doing and all that you're going to do in and through us to the glory, the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.